Welcome to Equinox, where Rob and I are striking the balance between the light and the dark. This is episode 26. My name is Joseph Darnell, and I'm joined by the doc and my friend, Robert Carter. Hello, Rob. Hello, Joe. We are here in you know the Atlanta area. It's drizzling outside. It's dismal. But it, the weather has changed. It's been nice to get some cooler days and take some walks with the wife outdoors again and enjoy this weather. My son just started baseball, and he's really enjoying that. He's going to be second baseman. That's really cool. Cool. Oh, that's really, that's awesome. He's not like in right field, you know. <laughs> yeah, which, you know, I think he has enjoyed the outfield before on purpose. Really? Yeah. Now, I was a pitcher. Did you do baseball? Oh, wow. Uh, I did, and it was a dismal failure. Oh. It wasn't until I was in college that I realized that I needed glasses. Oh, really? Oh. I'm, I'm oh. farsighted. So you could see the pitcher, and you couldn't see the ball. <laughs> Oh, I'd be standing at the plate and I'd say, just throw it low into the outside, low into the outside. Come on. And if he did that, I cracked it into right field every time. Oh, nice. But if it's across the plate, I was swinging at nothing. I could not see it when it, when it got close to me and I couldn't catch fly balls. Line drives, no problem. But fly balls would wow. be up there and be like, and be, I see it, I see it. And when it came closer, it would just disappear. Did you know? Like, did you no, know no. all those years that your eyesight was poor? No, I had no idea. Wow. Huh. I had gotten reading glasses at one point, and I just forgot to take them off once. And my friend and I were playing catch um, with you know baseball glove and ball. He he threw it to me and hit my glove, and I realized that was the first time I'd ever seen a ball hit my glove. Oh, that is odd. Okay, so like <laughs> when you would be looking at your hands without your reading glasses on, or you were looking at yourself in the mirror, or no, that's yeah? fine. No, okay. it's it's the in between the inability to track rapid changes. Oh. So if it was slow enough, no problem. But a baseball is just a little too fast, and I couldn't focus once it got within like ten feet. Just too fast, too fast. Where to go? Hmm. Yeah. Wow. It was a curse. Well, I don't, I don't have any eye problems. I I've been blessed with maybe twenty ten vision that has slowly receded to twenty twenty. Cool. And I'm doing just fine in my thirties. Right. Now I threw my back out yesterday, Ooh. and thankfully it's not hurting me right now, but. I have some muscle pains I'm not accustomed to. So if you hear me, you know, groaning over here on this side of the microphone, I'm just going to hit the mute button and you can carry, uh, carry us through to the end. You you can wrap it up. <laughs> this one, this one shoulder it's uh, okay. Uh, man, I just want to like yank on my arm really hard and maybe that would feel better. <sighs> it's hard working a desk job all the time uh, yes it is <sighs> yep i guess me too there's one particular spot one particular muscle. i did exercise today i did exercise and it really did feel good it's it, there is damage done but it's not so bad that i couldn't do some supermans so i did some supermans all right now you're paying for it <sighs> now i'm still using my old um decrepit mac pro um uh, so oh, man. this may be the last time we record with uh, this old timer wasn't it supposed when your replacement supposed to come yeah, supposed to have arrived today, but uh, nothing so far. And the courier just says that it's in transit, but it's supposed to be delivered today, but it's in transit, whatever transit is. Right. Where else would it be? So, <laughs> Just wait, just wait. Hey, you know, I heard um, that Ted Williams, a famous baseball player, could read the label on a record as it's spun. No way. That would explain why some of the pros could do what they do. He could tell you where on the baseball the bat made contact. Oh, that is, oh, that is a superpower. <laughs> and I could even see the ball when it was within five feet. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Uh, because I remember listening to some ball players just say that you just have to go on gut instinct and kind of just know when to swing at the balls. Yeah. And even then, you know, they, how many balls did they hit? Cannot, it can't even be a third of the balls that are pitched to him because those are insanely fast. Yeah, if you're if you're batting three thousand or three hundred, man, you're 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 a million dollar ball player at least. Yeah, yeah. And this season is the strangest season in baseball history. I haven't caught any games, but I was looking at a, a scene from a live game on TV. Obviously, who's catching games these days? But if you you know, t I'm talking about TV. Yeah, and it just it just seems so odd to be on TV in an empty park. I mean, how are they even getting paid if they're not selling tickets, you know? 
Tr- no tragic. idea. No idea. They're working for free. All right. You want to get uh, on with the discussion? I think it's, um, it's a big one. It's something that we've had in one. the outline for a while. Yeah. And I have no idea how long this is going to take. I have questions. I don't know if we'll zip right through it or we're going to just hang on a couple of things. And I have some challenges for you and for the audience also, but I'm going to throw it at you. Oh, sweet. And I'm going to tell you that I can't do this challenge, just to be fair. Okay. But, but we're going to try. All right. You can't. No, 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 no. It's impossible. You need help? No, no, no. It's because we're, we're going to talk about how the human brain works. And so I'm going to start off with a challenge that the human brain cannot do, normal human brains cannot do. Oh. And we will get to the point where we can do it. Okay. All right. Okay. Awesome. Looking forward to it. All right. Drum roll. So what we are talking about is human memory. Or are we talking about animal and human memory? Are we talking about all memory? We're going to focus on human because that's what we understand better. Okay. And the parts of the brain that we're going to be talking about, animals don't have those parts of the brain necessarily. Yeah. Animals don't have human brains. That's right. And rats certainly don't have it. Chimpanzees come closer, but they're not anywhere close to our brains. That's a very good point. Now, when you say they don't have anything close to our brain, it's that they don't have as many functions. It's like they don't have as many features and... yeah. Yeah. It's not just a matter of how big is their brain, because you know that is sort of a joke. Even a five-year-old can understand when they're watching a cartoon. You could say, you know, my brain is way bigger than your brain. You know, you just got the brain the size of a pea brain. You know, and so therefore, the it's an inferior brain. But it's not just a matter of size, because it's not the matter of size. I imagine elephants have way bigger brains than we have. Or I mean, I could be wrong about that, but it's like it's like our brain has just different features. Back about 100 years ago, there were two Nobel Prize winning authors, you know, Nobel Prize in literature. One was Russian and one was Spanish. And I think the Russian's head was literally twice as big as a Spaniard's head. Whoa. His brain huh. was twice as large as the other. And they're both fully functional human beings, extremely intelligent, very good with words and languages. So Brain size does not equal intelligence. That is awesome confirmation. Even a doubling of the brain size doesn't make you Einstein. Good to know. Yeah. So it's brain organization. That's what it is. It's the connectivity in the brain. Hmm. It's the number of folds in the brain. It's the, it's the way the parts are arranged in the brain. Huh. So if you're looking at ancient man, oh, this person had a you know, brain the size of a gorilla. Ha ha. Well, that doesn't mean he's stupid. Right. It just means his brain is smaller than a, a normal, average modern human. In fact, Neanderthal brains, on average, were larger than modern man. Hmm. They were shaped a little different. They didn't have much of a forehead. Okay. But their brains were bigger volume-wise, so that's a really big mystery. That is interesting. Maybe they had better eyesight. Who knows? Who knows? Because everything you say about them, someone's going to disagree. <laughs> of course. Well, it's not like we have an example. We need to do a podcast on Neanderthal technology. Oh, awesome. And the archaeology of what we've learned about those enigmatic people and the fact that they were absolutely humans and they were really smart. That would be a cool podcast. We'll put that on the list. Sweet. Done. Now, human brain. Do you want to begin with what we know from history? I'd like to, I would also like to peek into childhood and infancy and development. But where do you want to start? I want to start with what I'm calling the magic number. The magic number? No, it's just a number I made up. Two brains are better than one? Well, no. I went into Excel, and I, I made one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine random digits. I'm going to say this number to you, and I want you to repeat okay. it back to me. Okay, I'll try. Now, at the end, I'm going to say a color. And I'm telling you that now, because if I, if I said the number and this said the color, you'd be like, wait, why'd you just say a color, and you'd forget the number? <laughs> I would. Okay? <laughs> okay. So audience, you can try this also. I'm just going to say the number. I want you to repeat it back to me. Negative eight, two, three, four, seven, zero, four, nine, two, blue. Go. Negative eight, two, three, four, seven, four, eight, nine, two. And the color? Blue. Wow. You did much better than most people would do. You missed one digit. Nice. Was it the eight? You repeated eight back to me, but it was, it was a nine digit number. Uh, and okay, and I, I really expected you to do worse than that. Yeah. But maybe because I warned you that the word blue was coming, you were more in tune to it. And I warned you that I was going to tell you you had to repeat it back to me. 
you're maybe more paying attention. Perhaps. But the number you dropped out was right in the middle. Wow. I feel pretty good. You said 7-4. It was 7-0-4. Okay. The fact that you missed the middle number is classic. That's exactly what the human brain does. Oh, because it's nine. You didn't forget that it was a negative number. Right. You gave me eight back. Like I can give you eight, but an odd number leaves the middle number out. Is that the pattern? Hum- human tendency? I don't know. Say the number again. Oh, shoot. Say the number again. I can't. <laughs> Say so it again. Go. Negative eight, zero, four. Ah, oh, man. Something, something, <laughs> nine, two. <laughs> Blue. <laughs> Blue. <laughs> you got the first number and the last two numbers, the color and the negative sign. Yeah. I got the tail ends. I can remember. That, exactly. You got the ends and the middle dropped out. So would that basically be most of human experience? Oh, my word. <laughs> that explain why you, you can remember greetings, first impressions, and miss everything in the middle. Negative eight two three four seven zero four nine two Blue. Say it again. Uh Without thinking, you just got to go. I was thinking. I wasn't listening to you. <laughs> okay. Negative eight, two, three, four, seven, zero, four, nine, two. Blue. Go. Negative eight, two, three, four, seven, zero. Oh, man. Something nine, two. <laughs> you, you got the zero, but not the next number. Last time you did it the other way around. <laughs> but, Kana, how come you remember the negative sign? And how come you remember the color? Because easy. I mean, you said that you were going to give me numbers. Yeah. And then you start, you're not identifying a number. Like you didn't say nine. I was expecting a number. And the first thing you just you said was negative. And so I, I, it actually threw me. Yes, it I did. I thought, are you going to say negative eight, you know, positive one, you know, zero, you know, then. I bet if I said pecan or puppy dog. Or Sasquatch. Oh, yes. I bet you would have remembered whatever that word was. Yes. Now, what we're talking about here is not necessarily textbook, here's how memory works. This is Rob's version of memory and how he figured out how his own brain works. Oh, nice. But a lot of this has been confirmed with other things I've read. But just thinking of this for years and years, I realized I can't remember a string of numbers more than five letters long, five numerals long. I remember hearing years ago. That if you're focusing, the best you can do is remember and focus on a, a a collection of things, a list of things, seven long. If you're lucky, yeah. Yeah. Even, for example, batters at bat, they have to remember more than seven things to have a great swing. And they can't remember all the various tricks of the trade. So they have to remember just the seven that they can, at the moment, and focus on those. Yeah, but even that is, there's so much muscle memory involved in that and automatic responses that they don't actually have to think, think. Mm. They go through the list in their head and then they swing. They're not thinking, okay, now move the suborbital dominus uh, lateral transverse process of the femur uh, one <laughs> quarter degree to the right. I mean, you know. You know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I made it up. I have no idea what those anatomical terms mean. <laughs> hey, Joe, say the number again. Negative eight four three two seven zero one nine two blue. Oh, that was so close. You reversed the second, third, and fourth numbers, and one of the numbers was wrong. It was negative eight two three four seven zero four nine two blue. I bet if I gave say hey hey Joe, say the number again. I have a hard time paying attention to you rattle off eight numbers. I lose my concentration after the third number. Ah, you need to pay attention, man. <laughs> you you got to concentrate. I bet if I gave this to you in three sets of three numbers, it would be a whole lot easier to remember. Oh, why? Eight, two, three. So if you'd, yeah, eight, two, three. Oh, got it. Four, yeah. seven, zero, four, nine, two. Yeah. Blue. I remember, I still remember the phone number for my family's house growing up, 770-424-8492. And why do you think we have those hyphens in the middle of phone numbers? Oh, it's uh, memory. 
Is that is that all it comes down to? Because it breaks it down into sets of three and sets of four, and you can remember so much easier. The one huge problem I have with like European phone numbers, there's just a long string of numbers. Oh, that's I look a good at it, and maybe play. they understand that the first three numbers, the area code or something like that. I don't know that. There's no hyphen in there. All I know is I look at the numbers like how I, I can't remember that. No, but American phone numbers are broken up into little particles, little easy to digest little chunks, and so we can stick them on our head better. I remember my phone. I, la- I remember the last four digits of my phone number from when I was a little kid in the house we left when I was in second grade. Nice. I remember the house we lived in where we owned a motel. I remember that phone number, but I don't remember the area code because we didn't use area codes yet. Oh. And then yeah, we hardly did when I was a kid. And in fact, if we tried to call to the next town just a couple of miles away, that was long distance. Right. <laughs> and you still didn't use an area code. I mean, area code is like hyper long distance. And things change over time. And you had to use the Pony Express to make the phone call. Tough times. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't bad. <laughs> All right. So the first part of memory, you remember the color. What was the color? Blue. And you remember the negative sign, right? <laughs> Easy. Okay. I claim that the brain takes information and puts it into different categories, different bins, different registers. Okay, yeah. So And you can always, almost always remember a plus or minus, a color, or something like that. And when information is coming at you, even without thinking, it puts it into bins so it can more better understand, more better. It can understand <laughs> the information better and categorize it better and process it better. Easily. High and low, bright and dark. Exactly. Quiet. Exactly. North and south, left and right. Yeah, all those sorts of things. So our brain appreciates all the contrast. Oh, yeah. Wait till we talk about eyeballs at the end. Yeah. Brains love contrast. Things that can easily separate, easily understand, easily compare. Hmm. But a string of numbers. Hey, what's that number again? Negative eight, four, three, two, six. Seven something something nine two <laughs> blue <laughs> <laughs> negative eight two three four seven zero four nine two blue. Why is that so hard for the human brain to stick in the brain and get it to stick there? It's not easy. It, uh, even thinking like it, no, if I gave you five numbers, five numerals, you would have nailed them the first time, and you would be able to recite them back to me now. But because I made it nine, I made it impossible. Right now, of course, there's some nerd listening to the podcast. Oh, I can do it. I could do it the first time. Yeah, well, you're Superman, <laughs> right? He's Rain Man. <laughs> yeah, Rain Man. Well, I don't want to insult the person. You know, <laughs> there are people in the world who can like. There's a, a an autistic man who not only taught himself Icelandic, which is one of the most, world's most difficult language in two weeks, and then appeared on an Icelandic talk show and talked like a native. Whoa. But he has a world record for memorizing pi out to like, you know, a couple hundred thousand digits. Oh, wow. But he said it's not like memorizing numbers. He walks through a landscape. Oh, wow. And so his number is, I don't know what kind of landscape, you know, a river, a mountain, a tree. And as he's walking, he's looking around and... The numbers are his landscape, so he memorizes a picture that he m- turns into numbers as he goes through it. Wow! I just that's the, what I, that concept is so foreign to me and so amazing at the same time. Along that line, I grew up in an artistic family, and some of us more gifted artistic, artistic, not autistic, okay. artistic. Okay, and we had. Some more gifted than others. Oh, by the way, I, we just said something uh, politically incorrect, and I want to beg forgiveness for people who suffer from autism. The phrase is people with autism, not autistic people. Gotcha. Got it. So that's something to learn. I, I just slipped back into the old way. Excuse me. Now continue your artistic family. Go ahead. Right. So my dad was really good as a as sort of a nature sketch artist. Then we had relatives that were more cartoony artists. Okay. And I took an interest in portraiture. So I drew a lot of people in my early years and tried to get as realistic as possible. I found animals easier to do with fur, their eyes and their teeth, their nose. Their wet nose was actually really hard. But the thing that struck me as odd was trying, you know, I would really know someone's face. I would think that I would know someone's face really well. And it didn't matter how 
how familiar I was with their real face. I couldn't do it from memory. Wow. I have a photograph and I have to just do it stroke for stroke based off of whatever I'm looking at in the photograph. Uh, But I could not translate anything in my memory into the shapes I needed to to make that person. I just, I couldn't do it. Hence the classic artist looking at his subject and he's, he has a rod in his hand with a ball on the top and he holds a ball out and looks at his, his subject and he brings a ball in and he, and he draws on his thing. Yeah. He's doing proportions. Right. He's measuring the subject with his ball and then bringing it over to the thing and dividing by, I don't know what number. Uh, to, to, so his picture here is approximately what he's looking at. Yeah. You just use your thumb. Mm-hmm. Cool. And then there are people who can draw from memory, which I don't understand either. When you were describing the the number-based landscape, I, I was thinking about that. I was like, oh, oh man. Yeah. I feel hey, Joe, like I was missing num- something. Joe, what's the magic number again? Uh, negative 892. Blue. <laughs> Very good. He got the beginning and the end. Perfect. <laughs> but I should have divided it into the three groups you told me. I just, 823. I'm, I'm not a good listener. 470492. <laughs> That's right. I knew a scientist. You, the last the last three or four nine two? <laughs> Can I get this out? I've said this three times. <laughs> <laughs> I knew a scientist <laughs> in grad school. And he was a, a geneticist, very important in, in uh, at the university, and he never did more than five things. So he's doing a lot of PCR reactions with DNA. And as little teeny plastic strips with eight little connected test tubes, you pop the little lids off and you put your reactants in there and you put it in the PCR machine, he would only use five of the eight. And then the, the, uh, the test tube racks, they had six rows and I don't know how many columns. He would only use five rows because he, he told me, he says, I can't remember six things, but I can always remember five. So he never would get lost in what he was doing and never forget where he was if he didn't try to do too many things. Brilliant. So there's a man who understood his brain huh. and was doing very well in life because of it. All right. Sorry for interrupting whatever you're trying to say there. But. No, fine. Numbers. Numbers. So the human brain takes information and it registers it into different partitions. But we can overlay on top of that additional information that helps us understand, how, like the color blue. If I said orange, you could picture all of your numbers being orange, including the negative sign. Sure. If I said purple, you could picture all the numbers being purple instantly. Or if I said, um, let's look at the 50 states in the United States. And if you want to memorize all the 50 states, it would be really hard to do it alphabetically. Are you sure you could do it? Oh, But yeah. something that helps memory is putting things on a map. So California, Oregon, Washington, Idaho, Nevada. So you can associate the name with a shape and a color because you can color code the states. And you can color code it according to what you know, like you know, Oregon and, and Washington, they'll be green. Yes. Nevada is going to be brown. Mm-hmm. So you can put a gradation in your brain and you can much easier remember things when their relationships are understood. Hmm. Disconnected facts like this 8234704922, that, that means nothing. No. In fact, that is seriously a random number that I made. If I told you that the is in three sets of three and that was a combination lock or that was temperature or the distance from here to Pluto, I mean, that would help a lot. Yeah. But that number has no bearing on any reality whatsoever. And so we have a hard time remembering what it is. Hmm. So uh, you, you were saying that you can handle five pretty well. If you found that to be the case as well, you live by that rule of thumb, you stick to five things that you can have on your, five things you can remember. Is that five things you can focus on at a time or five things that you need to remember? Like, are we talking focus or memory? Focus, focus, uh, keep things in order, keep it straight. No, no, I don't do it all the time and I mess things up all the time because I try to do too much. Oh, what was that step? I don't remember anymore. Gotcha. Okay, the worst thing in the world, ready? You go to the grocery store. And you don't write your list down. You got it in your head. I'm smart. I can remember my list, right? And you got four items on your list. And you walk through the grocery store and say, oh, I want one of those also. And you put it in your cart. (laughs) And instantly, you can't remember your four items anymore. Oh, no. You probably forgot one. Because now you have one in the cart and four, three, four, uh, (laughs) up, up. And you mess the whole thing up. And I do that all the time. And it drives me nuts. I'll be leaving the grocery store. Oh, I forgot the toilet paper. I forgot the dishwashing detergent. Ah, 
even though it was in my head, had I gone through the store and only picked up those four things and put them in my cart, I could have shopped to my heart's content after that and it wouldn't have mattered. But because I disturbed the system, I perturbed the list, <laughs> my brain hiccuped. You just had to touch the Doritos. I, yeah, you know, you, yeah. and the human brain is fascinating because of that. There's something else also fascinating. It's how long it takes us to remember something. Well, on that note, it's remarkable how focus works much at all. Because throughout the day, I feel like I, I can use my conscious mind, for lack of a better term, to think about work, to think about who's in the room, to think about getting ready for dinner, to think about getting up and get ready for work. How am I going to make the coffee? But very quickly, I can slip out of focus and still get things done. And not remember what I did for the last few minutes, yeah. but still have got them done. Yeah. D- depending on what you're doing. Be meandering through some subconscious thoughts that came out of nowhere for no good reason. And it's an internal dialogue. And I'm just not interested in it, but it's happening anyway. Have you ever read an entire page of a book and realized? Yes. Yeah. It's the worst. And then you got to <laughs> read it again. Such a waste of time. But then you can never read it again because you're not into it. And you just you just you hiccup (laughs) on one one sentence again and again and again and again and ah I can't get through it. And yeah, brains. (laughs) Okay. How many times have you been in a conversation and someone says something, oh yeah, it's the uh uh or you're saying this, right? It's the um um uh You're uh, lost for words. But you will remember it in five minutes. Yes. All the time. So what I've taken to doing is this. I'll put my finger up on my head like my hand with my finger pointing up. <laughs> it's a mark on my head, uh, and it's, it's a one. It's just a, a memory thing of, hey, you have something to remember, and now there's a finger over my head, and I'll put my hand down, and I'll, I'll tell the person what it is. So I'll make it a mark in my brain so that I remember that there's something to remember. I'll remember it probably five <laughs> minutes from now. I'll, so let's just keep on talking, and I'll interrupt that. And sure enough, a couple minutes later, oh, by the way, that thing that I forgot, here it is. <laughs> Never fails. There's an access time. And we have limited access. We can pull memories out, but not infinitely. And some of them are buried more deeply than others. And some of them, are they interfere with one another when we're trying to pull them out. In fact, a couple episodes ago, at the very end of the episode, the one we're talking about um, explosives. At the end, I was talking about the torpedoes. And I said, oh yeah, that was uh, uh, Farragut in in, um, New Orleans. No, it wasn't. It was Decatur in Mobile in a civil war. Mm. And so I was thinking the wrong war. I got the wrong city and the wrong war and the wrong uh, place. So the, the person, the place and the time was all wrong. And as soon as we stopped the podcast, like, Oh, I'm stupid. Ah, and I, I remembered it, but it was too late. I had already said the wrong thing. And that prevented me from remembering the right thing until I stopped thinking about it. And then it leapt into my mind. Right. Verbal typos. Brains are weird, but there's something that can spark instantaneous and powerful memories. And that is a sense of smell. Oh, would that also be right up there with taste? Like, you know, very distinct yeah. oh, kinds yeah. of foods? Oh, man. Yeah. If I okay. you know, ate something that tastes like my mom's uh, lasagna, oh, man, that would send me back. Mm. Or the, the show Ratatouille. Remember the movie Ratatouille? Yes. You know, right. there was a, there's a reality to that. Right. Not that this ever happened, but it happened once about five years after I caught a whiff of coal smoke, oh. and I was instantly transported to Shanghai in December of 1992, riding a bike on a rainy, freezing cold street, trying to go to some passport agency or something like that. I was, I was in China for two weeks just for fun, because my roommate had moved there to teach English, so I went over there to see him over the Christmas break, and they had a lot of coal smoke, and I had never been in a place with coal smoke. And years later, I got a whiff of it, and boom, all these memories flooded in my mind. Nice. Another example, um, I'm, I'm sure you're, you're, you're aware that a lot of Christians and non-Christians are into essential oils. Oh, right? Well, I don't know anything about those. Oh, you don't? Half the people no. in your life sell these things. I mean, <laughs> you joking about not knowing about them? Oh, oh, it's coming back to me now. Um, this one that they like to use called uh, lavender and uh, valor and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're nice. Okay, I, I know I know what essential oil company you're talking about now. <laughs> <laughs> one of these, I don't remember which one anymore. Someone opened one of these up and I just took a very brief smell of it. And I was instantly transported back in time to Macy's, the big one, 
in Manhattan mm. with my grandmother. Oh. I have no memory of being at Macy's with my grandmother. No way. Who died in 1988. Wow. I remember going there with Boy Scouts in like 10th grade. We took a trip to New York City. And we walked through Macy's. We went Empire State Building, Twin Towers, and ate, ate McDonald's, I think. I don't know why we didn't get pizza. Duh. But I think we ate at McDonald's. Right. Um, oh. So I remember a trip with Boy Scouts. Um, and that's the only time I actually remember being in Macy's. But I'm wondering if as a little child... We took a trip to New York City with Grandma. That'd be awesome. And it was recalled. Wow. And there was some something about that aroma. They must have had it in some decoration, maybe Christmas decorations. I don't know what it was. Something in Macy's. And his vivid memory came back. But I do not recall this memory. It's the strangest, most surreal thing. I can't know if it's real. Oh, that's interesting. I know my wife used to notice I was using Old Spice. Okay. And when I first started using Old Spice, she said she loved it because it smelled like her grandfather. <laughs> reminded her of her <laughs> yeah. grandfather. Hence that, uh, that, um, the advertising campaign. <laughs> if your grandfather didn't wear this, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Go ahead. And la- later, though, the, the association became that, that smells, smells like old people. <laughs> so uh, I stopped wearing Old Spice. Yeah, interesting. Here's something else that was really weird. You know, I'm, I'm looking out my my front window here. It's getting dark, but I know what it looks like. There's a black dog chained up to a tree who's barking because he's always barking. There's a a red van with white lettering because my cross the street neighbor drives for a particular beverage company, and he always parks his van, his, his delivery truck, in the driveway. Mm. The house is this ugly brownish taupe color just i don't know why they haven't painted the house from the 80s it's a yucky color and there's always a four-door white diesel pickup truck parked on the street and it's a nice truck okay the truck that i would love to have that truck okay now yeah i don't know if women can do this but i can you know i'm not looking at it anymore i can instantly turn that truck black blue yellow tangerine colored rainbow and everything else in the picture stays exactly the same as a mental image. Yeah, mental image. If I can do that with a mental image, how do I trust my memory? Oh, tough. Yeah. I've never actually stepped on their grass, but I can walk around that car in my mental image in a 3D landscape, and the whole neighborhood is here, and I can, I can imagine the whole neighborhood, all the trees, all the, the mailboxes, all the houses, and I can walk around that car looking at it, going into a, a place where I've never actually physically been. And then I can take that car and turn it into a Ferrari or a Volkswagen Beetle. Well, now we're not in the land of memory. No. We're sort of like slipping into the, the realm of imagination. Yes. So are you saying they are not synonymous, but they're really hand in hand? Yes, they're parallel to one another. And if I dwell on that image long enough, I might have a hard time 10 years from now not remembering that that was not a real image. Oh, it's not a Lamborghini parked on the street across from my house. I mean, the, the, the delivery guy does not own a Lamborghini. <laughs> yeah. But I can put it there. Therefore, memories can be false. And it really doesn't take a lot because when you... Okay, so like right now, right here, right now, I have a iPhone 11 and I'm holding it. I like to just like, uh, you know, roll it in my fingers. While I'm listening to you talking. Okay. It's uh, got a red back to it. But I know what all the iPhone colors look like over the years. I've seen blue ones, green ones, yellow ones, different shades of red, black ones, white ones. It's easy to picture the different colors. So, so what you're saying is when you're conscious of the fact that it's the imagination doing the work, does that mean you don't really buy into it as real? But then if you're recalling it in memory and you just don't remember, the imagination is trying to help you fill in the cracks and you, you're just unaware of the fact that it's the imagination doing the job because it's, it, the imagination is activated alongside of memory and you can't tell the <laughs> difference between one or the other. It's hard sometimes. Imagine that you are a, a, a cop and you're grilling somebody. You're interrogating them. You're trying to find out if they murdered their wife or something like that. And you're asking them all these questions, but the person is lying. How do you trap them? Mm. How do you know they're lying? Well, the easiest way to get them to contradict part of their story from memory and imagination. 
Yeah, but no, usually what they do is they tell you too many details. <laughs> oh, it's that easy. <laughs> it wasn't that he was wearing tennis shoes. It was where he was wearing blue Nikes. Uh, really? They weren't just blue shoes. Right. No, the blue Nikes. Oh, you saw the swoosh. Oh, yeah, I saw the swoosh while he was running past you. Interesting. And so people, as they're telling stories, they'll get comfortable. Okay, now I'm comfortable in my scene here. Okay, I got the whole thing worked out now. And I can tell this guy's stuff. And they just, they say too much. Mm. And it's like, you're lying to me. I'm not lying. <laughs> yes, you are. <laughs> <laughs> oh. It's too easy to jazz up the stories then. Yeah. Okay. What's your earliest memory? I remember it was my birthday. I was probably turning three. Okay. And we were at church. And my birthday was super close to Easter. So I remember vaguely that people were all dressed up for their Sunday best. Interesting. Is your birthday ever on Easter? It was once. Cause my, my, yeah, my sister's birthday is sometimes on Easter. It's very rare, but it does happen. Yeah, like it's only happened once in my life. And ma- several times it's been close. Yeah. So I'm here, I'm three years old, and somebody gave me a birthday suit, three-piece suit. And I remember it was either khaki or light gray. And everybody just pff, fall, falling all over themselves because I looked so handsome. Really? It wasn't the bunny suit I, I, from the Christmas story? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It was totally different. Cool. Uh, everybody was just, just thought I looked so good in my three-piece suit. And I remember like running around at the churchyard feeling great because I looked so good. <laughs> that, that's all I remember. <laughs> all right. Um, what if I told you that probably half of what you remember is made up? I would believe it <laughs> because I, it, it, it's all vague recollection. Has anyone, has anyone talked to you about this story? Do you have any pictures no. of this? No, I, I've discussed this with mom and dad. Okay. They don't specifically remember it. So. Interesting. Interesting. Psychologists, like if a, if a child has to be a witness, they have to be really careful because they can't know if the child remembers things accurately. And we know they can be coached and they're very susceptible to suggestion. Now, hypnotists can do this to people. They can, you know, suggest ideas to them. And one of the, one of the things that you see on stage shows or the guy's going to guess that, you know, the, this guy's favorite birthday present ever, it's almost always a red bike, but there's red on the backdrop. And a guy's got a, a little thing that looks like a bicycle wheel on his lapel or something like that. You know, so people are suggestible. Right. Kids are really suggestible. And a lot of times someone can recall something as an adult and maybe grandma's there. And no, honey, that's not what happened. But that's what everyone said. Yeah, but this, here, blah, 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 and they'll, they'll set the story straight. And this person has had a wrong event that they thought they witnessed their whole life. And they, they did not. Either they witnessed it and they forgot and got it all jumbled. And so the further back in time you go, when you get to that, you know, one, two, three years old, children have amnesia on purpose. And I think it's a good thing. I think psychologically is a good thing. We don't remember toddlerhood because hmm. we cried a lot. <laughs> we got hurt all the time. It's true. We were hungry. We peed in our pants. Yeah. We're uncomfortable. We could not communicate with people saying, I am miserable. Save me. Right. And so all those memories, they just go away. And I think that's a blessing. And there's a point in time where memories start, you know, getting more concrete. But even at five years old, I don't think memories are as firm as they will be later. No, definitely not. My kids don't remember a whole lot that happened at that age. No. And the ones that do, you know, they're, oh, I remember my first birthday. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> no. <All right. laughs> that might have been your third birthday. Fine. But, you know. I've tried my hardest and I get my second and my third or my well, not the second. Uh, what I'm thinking about is my first. I don't know why. Like it's like the first birthday that I can remember, and, and I, I I go to saying that's my first birthday. Uh, yeah, and I get my fifth and my sixth mixed up because I remember a Wild West cowboy outfit. Wow, and I'm 99 percent sure it was for my fifth birthday, but it could have also been my sixth birthday. And I I just got it mixed that's up. That's funny. I remember hardly any birthdays because I never really cared about birthdays. Mm. It wasn't a big deal to me as a kid. I don't know why. It just wasn't that big a deal. I don't 
I remember 13 because I turned 13 on Friday the 13th. And that was a big deal to me. I thought that was really cool. <laughs> so ever since then, I have been a Triskaidekaphiliac. That's a lover of the number 13. Because I figured, forget Tris- Triskaidekaphobia. That's dumb, man. I'm going to love this number. It's my number. It's been my magic, lucky, happy number my whole life now. Awesome. All right. So memory is inscrutable. It can be false. It can be morphed. It can be suggested. And it's punctuated or periodic. I think punctuate is better. You remember every girl you kissed, as long as you didn't kiss, you know, a hundred. You remember every car accident you've been in. You don't remember every time you brush your teeth. (laughs) What it is, is we remember emotional states more than anything else. So memory is emotional. It's linked up and wrapped up in our emotions. Wow. Is that what it is? The happy and the bad. Right. But the mundane, we just forget. And honestly, it keeps us sane. You don't want to remember every single day what the weather was and what you ate for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and how long it took you to drive to school, and how long you read, and every word on every single page. I mean, that would drive you nuts, that type of data. Yeah, I am not interested. Like, I can still remember things about being in homeschool baseball when I was six years old. And uh, the following years, I did it for six years. I remember it very well. But I don't remember a whole lot else that coincided during that time frame. Like just doing school. I don't remember those days. Just being at home doing school. And yet, I bet if you stopped and thought about one little thing, that over time a well of memories would come up that were associated with it. Yeah. Yeah, I could. Yeah. It'd take a little while. And just think about, you know, a baseball game. Okay, wait a second. You know, who's the catcher? Where's the coach standing? How many guys in the team? What's the what's the relationship of the baseball field to the roads around you? Was the trail through the woods? Were pe- were kids playing back there? Were they stirring up all the noceums and everyone's itching cuz the bugs are getting you cuz it's, you know, in the middle of summer and it's 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 in the evening and the bugs are biting you and and all these myriad imagery and memories will come welling up from one little starting point. And that's the weirdest thing because your brain doesn't store memories like a computer stores pictures. We're not digital. We are hyperdimensional. Mm-hmm. Our brains, the neurons connect in a highly multidimensional network. And a memory isn't stored in one location. Wow. A memory is distributed across your whole brain smells or the sounds the shapes wow <laughs> and so when you want to remember something your whole brain needs to access and reconnect and reconfigure a pattern and then it sends the pattern to the part of the your brain where you think oh yeah of course <laughs> oh yeah and i remember great grandma yeah i just had a memory of my great grandmother just because i said great grandma on, on a whim i just made that up totally now i remember all these different things and i can remember the smell of her house her dog named schnapsy <laughs> it's a little, little, little mean-tempered wiener dog. Well, that's right, because my great grandmother was one hundred percent German, right? And oh man, she made sauerkraut, and she always had those little chocolates on the table, the, the samplers. That's right. Me and my second cousin Vinny and my sister, maybe we'd go downstairs at her house and we watch monster movies because for some reason at Thanksgiving they always played monster movies. So Frankenstein, Dracula, Mothra, <laughs> Godzilla. These memories are welling up in my My uncle Frank, my great uncle Frank, telling stories about D-Day at Normandy. Yep. And we'd ask him, hey, Uncle Frank, do you see anybody killed? Oh, yeah, guys got killed right next to me. And all the adults would be rolling their eyes. All goes Frank again. I wish he was still around because I want to ask him questions. But I was a little kid and I didn't know what Normandy was. I didn't know what war was. Mm. And all I just told you this, this spiel about these memories. I could tell you the, the house. I could tell you all sorts of details that are just, I don't remember the backyard. Oh, really? Huh. I have I, the kitchen and there's a door in the kitchen. I've never been through that door. I have no memory oh. of the backyard of that house. I know the front yard. I don't know how to get there because I wasn't driving yet. I have no idea even where it was in the world. It's about 45 minutes from where we lived. Oh, that's weird. <laughs> that is, huh? Memories are fun and cool and strange. And how could I have registered all that information from, no joke, 45 years ago? Wow. Maybe 47 years ago. 
He's about six years old. How can I remember it after that much time? Now I'm starting to remember the uh, the furniture, the glass table, the, uh, the the cabinet with the glass front, mm. the kitchen table, the dining. Oh, there's a dining room now. I can now remember there's a dining room. Brains are bizarre, man. Yeah. It's multidimensional storage. I feel the same way. I'm thinking about my grandpa's house as you're describing that house. And they could be false. Okay, ready? False examples. There's something called the Mandela effect. The Mandela effect. Many, many, many people remember Ma- Nelson Mandela dying decades before he died. <laughs> <laughs> they just have this memory of Nelson Mandela dying. Now, for those listening, Nelson Mandela was a uh, a big uh, leader in South Africa. He was a black man thrown into prison for a very long time. And he became president of South Africa later on. But people remember him dying, but that would have been years before he even became president. And it's just this weird thing. And it's a known effect. But I have a memory that's false, I think. I remember going to see Star Wars when it first came out in the theaters. What is that, 1977? Mm-hmm. I was maybe third grade, maybe? And I remember Luke Skywalker looking through his binoculars at the horizon and seeing flashes in the sky which was the battle that, you know, the, the famous opening scene after the credits roll. And you get the big ship going and it's firing at the little ship. Uh-huh. And, you know, Princess Leia's on the little ship and there's all these flashes. Well, I remember him being on the surface of Tatooine and looking through his binoculars and seeing the flashes out in space and not knowing what it is. Oh, Rob, Rob. I think that's completely false. Rob, That's not have, in the movies now. No, I know they've edited the movies. And when they re-released them in the 90s, yeah. and they had those stupid, the dinosaur-like things that they added to all these different scenes, which were obviously CGI. It was so frustrating because it was obviously fake. Now, today, if they did, it would be hard to tell. Yes. Back in the 90s, though, they and it's like, what's that thing doing? What? Why is a stormtrooper riding a dinosaur? That wasn't in the original. Right. Stop. And so they might have changed the beginning, but I really think I'm wrong. I really think this Rob, is like, I, I don't think you're No, what? There's more to this. This is awesome. What? So the version I know people have tried to re re-resurrect the original Star Wars. I know people have done it. Yeah. But no one has talked about this memory that I have. Okay, so I, I was a huge Star Wars fan, though I I came late to the game. So I was born in eighty five. My some of my earliest childhood memories were really being confused by what was so attractive about star wars okay why were adults still talking about it in 1990 (laughs) yeah by the time i was 12 years old and that was uh 97 that was when they came out with the special editions that you're criticizing yeah and that that was my generation's version because for whatever reason someone bought those for my fraternity house at georgia tech uh, on VHS, <laughs> on VHS. Yes. And those things glorious. were playing almost constantly for about three years. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. There was always one of them was playing and some guys were watching it. And we got to the point, we memorized R2-D2's lines. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was crazy. <laughs> exactly. We had it down. Yep. So, all right, go ahead. Go ahead. Well, the 97 version doesn't have Luke looking up at the sky and the battle scene in space, but that is a cutscene, And... To, what? to my recollection, yes. No. It, it is a cutscene. What do you mean a cutscene? It was edited out by George Lucas's wife, who was the editor on that film. Oh, I almost forgot. There's a battle going on right here in our system. Not again. Come Forget up. it. There they are. That's no battle, hotshot. They're just sitting there. But there was a lot of firing earlier. Hey. I tell you, Luke, the rebellion's a long way from here. I doubt if the Emperor would even fight to save the system. Well, okay. Then when did I see it if it wasn't in the film? To my knowledge, it may have been on television, but could it have been? It was never added back to an official VHS copy in the trailer before the release. Did I see it on TV on a trailer? Perhaps that, that would make no sense. Why would they do that? Or maybe it was. There's a lot of edited scenes that get stuck in trailers. Yeah. Or maybe it was in the release version, or the first week, or maybe some some of the reels had it, and then maybe at the Southampton. New York movie theater. That is really curious. I think I was with Southampton. I don't remember where I saw it. it was Southampton. We had a very limited selection of movie theaters. We drive an hour to Eastport, an hour to East Hampton, half an hour to West Hampton, half an hour to Southampton. Oh, but Southampton at the time, there was only one room. 
later on they divided it in half so you could look up at the ceiling and there's a half circle that used to be the the center of the of the ceiling the decoration they divide it in half and then they move the the screens forward and behind the stage they put another theater and then they closed off the balconies they put two little theaters up there it's really ridiculous but they're trying to make money so they made a five plex out of a single plex <laughs> a memory that i cannot confirm that may or may not be true and now i really want to know yeah i want to know because i don't know how you would have gotten a hold of seeing those images before the year 1995 so maybe there was an extended cut on television, but I no. I mean, did you even see no, it? No, they television? didn't do that back then. Hmm. No. Wild. Okay, that's very curious. All right, let's let's talk about eyeballs now, since we're talking about what we're watching. Yeah. Did you know that your eyeball is a computer? The the eyeball itself. See, I had wondered how much of that information was going to the brain, and how much was there. Oh my word! See, I thought of eyes all this time as basically being like binoculars, like being just <laughs> yeah. the lenses and the receptors of yeah, light. Yeah, and like like each little nerve in your each little like photo re- receptor in your eyeball has a nerve that runs to the uh, optical part of your brain. It's like a, a wires, and they just connect. Right, and that's totally false. That's not how it works. I thought that. Your eyeball does not send all the information to your brain. It processes signal and sends to the brain what it wants to send. Oh, my word. I cannot believe my eyes. Yes. And so the first thing it does is it makes a wireframe. And it sends your brain all the edges, all the place where the giant contrast difference. And your brain gets the spatial idea, but just lines. (laughs) And I think... I think it's mainly vertical lines. Wow. This is Carter's supposition here. And the reason I say that is because the human brain, I've had to do this in like in genetics, when we run DNA out in a gel and have all these lines in this gel and we look under fluorescent light and on the right or left-hand side, we run what's called a ladder. So a piece of DNA of 100 nucleotides long, 200, 300, 400, 500, 1,000, da-da-da-da. So it'd be a ladder there and you could... Look at the ladder. So, okay, this piece here is a thousand and go to the left or right horizontally. And you can look at your stripe and say, okay, it's a thousand letters long. Only it's really, really, really hard to do that. But if you turn the gel sideways and you look for your thousand and then go straight down, you know exactly how long that is. You know exactly left and right if this thing lines up with the thing above it. But if you're trying to go horizontally, you can't do it. Your brain is a plumb bob. Mm. You know vertical, and you know it. You know, I mean, you're within a fraction of a degree. Horizontally, have you ever tried to hang a picture? Yeah. You can't do it. <laughs> it can't be done very... <laughs> no. No, it's impossible to be in front of a picture and get it straight, and you walk back. You might get lucky, but the, oh, no, it's off a little bit, and you tweak it, and you walk back and tweak it. Suggestion. Next time you try to hang a picture... Don't hang it horizontal, hang it vertical. Think about the vertical sides, yeah. Think about the vertical and line up the vertical to other vertical things like the edge of the wall or something like that. And I bet you'll nail it. Horizontal, you can't do. That is great. So your, <laughs> your eyeballs, they grab an image. And the first thing they do is they send to your brain where the lines are. And then they send the colors. It's more than one picture. Oh. And the data are stored in diff- and processed in different parts of your brain. And I'm wondering if there's a difference between the male and the female brain here. I'm totally speculating. But women are, are, in general, I know some guys are good at it too, but women in general are much better at colors. Men have like five colors. It's blue. I don't care if it's aqua, teal, whatever. You know, it's blue. We just call it blue. And a woman will come up, and sometimes I think they're just making this up. You just made that name up. Chartreuse, that's not a name. No way. Well, yeah, of course it is. But point is, there's something different about the typical, I'm I'm not trying to be sexist here, but there's a difference. Some people, mainly girls, are really good at nailing colors to a very fine gradation. Hmm. And I remember that illustration I told you where I could change the color of only the car and leave all the other memory alone? Right. I, I want to ask girls if they can do that. Yeah, I'd ask my daughters as well. Yeah, just imagine something. Now change the color of that thing. I bet, I bet your son will be like, boom, 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 boom. And I'm curious. So this is... Now, I'm, I'm really way out on a limb here because I've never talked about these, this one thing with other people. And I, I wonder if I'm right or wrong. And it'd be, it's just fun to know. But eyeballs are digital signal processors. This is one reason why it is so difficult to take a picture 
and it come out like what you're seeing. Camera's dumb. Oh. Your eyeballs that, huh. also, they adjust brightness in different parts of the image. Oh, all the time. They adjust the colors in different parts of the image. They invent colors that don't even exist. You know, the internet meme, is her, is her dress blue or what was the other color? Yellow or something like that. And all these people are saying different colors and totally different. Like, how can you think it's that color? It's this color. Right. Obviously. And other people saying a totally different color. What do you? The blue and yellow. Mm-hmm. Or those, those, inter- those uh, pictures you see on you know, computers now all the time where they have lines that cross. And at the center of the lines, you see dots. Those dots aren't there. Or when they show you, okay, what color is this? And it's on a white background. What color is this on a black background? And you say totally different colors, but it's the same color. What we're seeing is not real. It's a perception that our eyeballs are telling our brains. Wow. It's not really what's there. It's your eyeball trying to make sense of what's there. And it's trying to put contrasts in places that might not should be there. Wow. But it's doing it so that you can see, oh, there's a square here surrounded by a field of some other color. And your eyeball might call that square yellow, even though it's perfectly white. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've seen those kinds of things. And when you notice them in real life, it's really rare because it's, it's all happening automatically. Yeah. So to catch yourself in the act, seeing something like you, even something as simple as somebody's eye color. Like yours, I, I I think this happened. I I mean I'm maybe mixing this up for somebody else. I was getting to know, but I want to say that at some point, I easily could have pictured your eyes being blue, and then at another time that they were brown. I think your eyes are brown. Are your eyes brown? No, they're blue. They're sort of like a hazily green. Oh, I had no idea. I've got the combo of colors. Ah, so you know, maybe that's a guy thing. Maybe I don't look other guys in the eye. Or maybe it's a guy thing and I just don't remember colors. Yeah. Or maybe it's a shy thing because I don't tend to look at people when I'm talking to them. Yeah. Because I'm like an uber nerdy cackle in the corner at my computer screen when I discover some new scientific formula type of person. Sure. And my social skills are sometimes rather lacking. <laughs> hmm. Very interesting. What, what I notice is, you know, like I, I, I remember what you looked like when I first saw you giving a, a presentation. I guess it would have been, oh, I don't know, would it maybe have been almost 12 years ago? But a funny thing about memory is that more recently, I went back and saw a video or a picture of you from that lecture, that presentation. Okay. And you didn't look at all the way I remember you doing today. (laughs) Because what I remember you looking like then is based on what you look like now. Oh, just a little bit younger. Oh, it, it, so like, yeah, you've got more gray. You've got a thicker beard. You've got a fuller face. Yeah, you got different yeah. glasses. My parents are eighty-three years old. They're getting, they're getting up there. I mean, they're really seriously slowing down. Aches and pains, broken bones. They're really, they're getting up there. And I'm trying to remember my mom when she was younger, mm. and it's almost impossible. I can remember photographs. I can remember voices. I can remember, but I have a really, really hard time putting her younger face in the scene. The older face intrudes. Right. That's what I'm talking about. I don't like that. And my kids, they, they don't know my young parents. They only know the ancient people who are totally wrinkly and don't get around real well. And right. that's mm-hmm. not my parents. That's a facade. That's a farce. <laughs> and this is not my dad who's been playing competitive softball since he was born. He's, he played up until his 80s. Mom can hardly walk now. And it kills me. But, I mean, I remember young mom skinny dipping in the lake when I was like in five years old. Mm. We were staying up at a Saranac Lake up at my aunt and uncle's cabin. And didn't have a bathroom. So she'd just jump on the lake with a bar of soap. No one was around. It was just the family. I mean, it's totally, you know, bears and woods and, and a lake. That's all there was. Mm-hmm. And that was a young and quite scandalous mother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but remembering that far back is um, her face isn't there. Old mom is there. So memories can be impinged upon. They can be added to. They can reflect something newer that's replaced the older. And it's really weird. And, and the brain, there are different parts of the brain, of course. But if you damage your hippocampus, 
which is in the middle of your brain, you will not make new memories. So this little portion of your brain is like a gatekeeper. If you damage it, you can't make any new memories, but sometimes you can still access memories, depending on which part you damage. So your memories, all your senses go into your brain, the part of the brain you see, the cerebrum, and all the stuff gets added together and processed and categorized, and then it's sent as a packet to the hippocampus, which somehow, I don't know how, stores it. And when you ask a memory to return, it has your hippocampus says, oh, hey, uh, memory, where are you? And it goes and accesses it, and it brings it to the fore again. So the gate is called the hippocampus, which is in the middle of the brain. And the big part of the brain you see is all the data processing and, and memory storage areas, which is really strange. But there's a, a famous place, it's called Broca's area. I, I think the guy was German, he's in the, he's at least in in Europe in the 1800s, I think. And a guy came to him and he could only remember like three words, simple words, like the number three and, or, and the word and, and something like that. And he died and they, um, after a while, they, they dissected him and they, they looked at his brain and there was a, a, a syphilitic lesion on a specific area of his brain. He said, oh, that's very interesting. And then another person came to him with a similar condition. When he died, they dissected his brain and they found a, like a tumor sort of thing in that same spot. And said, aha, oh, huh. this area of the brain controls language. And it's called Broca's area. Now, that's not true anymore. Oh, huh. The rest of the brain also influences language. But if you mess up that part of the brain, your language processing will be messed up. But it's other parts you can do also oh, okay. that would mess up language. So, but... That one part is important, but it's not the only important part. There's these things called, they call them aphasias. It's when you, you lose an ability. Like, you lose the ability to recognize numbers or faces or names, but you remember everything else. And there's, there's one famous guy, um, 1840s, I think. His name was Phineas Gage. And this, I'm super famous. He, he's a railroad worker. And some, I think he was putting like dynamite or some explosive in a hole and he had to tamp it down with a metal rod, and it blew up, and the rod blasted up, went through his face, and out the top of his head. <laughs> and he lived. Wow. He, he lived another 12 years. Wow. He remembered the incident. He walked to the... In fact, someone gave him the, the post later on. He kept that post with him the rest of his life. But he walked to the doctor. The doctor didn't believe him, but he had a hole on top of his head. And his, you see his brain. You see his brain pulsing with his heartbeat. <laughs> but he survived oh. this, but his personality changed. Oh, wow. Everybody said he went from nice to mean. Oh, very curious. Wow. So studying brain injuries and aphasias, that's one of the main ways that they mapped out different parts of the brain. It's like, this is the part that deals with smell. This is the part that deals with sight. This is the part that deals with hearing. And now we have this thing called functional magnetic resonance imaging, or fMRI, functional MRI, where we can actually watch the neurons light up when different things are happening. Oh, that is so cool. So we can literally watch the brain work in real time. And this is how they're figuring out that the brain is a multidimensional data storage terminal. Our computers, they're two-dimensional. A computer chip, there's you know, places to store ones and zeros in two dimensions. It's really, really, really primitive. That makes sense. Got it. So it's like a cloud of lights lighting up in the... It's like when you see lightning lighting up... Uh, in a cloud. Just parts of a th stormy cloud. Yeah, yeah. Flash and you here know, the cloud's all there. over the place. It's a great big pillowy cloud, but yeah, there's a flash here and a flash there. That's what the memory or the active part of the... Yeah, receiving the information and processing the information is like. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Now the last part here is an evolution question. Oh, okay. And the question is, how on earth did this system evolve? Oh, yeah. For any mistake <laughs> along the way, it would be catastrophic. Not to mention for several times for different kinds of creatures. That's right. It had to happen more than once. And to go from a, a small brain creature that doesn't know very much to a human in incremental steps, what? Where each step could be catastrophically dangerous? You can't mess up the wiring in the brain. The brain doesn't work. A little change in wiring and you're dead. <laughs> and have a hyperdimensional. Hyperdimensional. And I use that, that word, that phrase on purpose. Hyperdimensional networking system 
We can't even map it. We can do it mathematically, but you can't draw it on a piece of paper. You can't do it on a you know a 3D computer screen because it's not 3D. It's 5, 6, 7D or something like that. Well, not to mention it's wet. Like <laughs> <laughs> that, that just breaks my brain. <laughs> wet computer. <laughs> so there you have it, though. Yeah. The way the human mind and memory work. It is amazing. Amazing. It is one of my favorite subjects of science. Anything to do with functionality of a living creature, but especially the brain, like what you said about the eyes functioning like little computer systems and processors of their own. ah, Yeah. Love it. Hey, Joe, before we go, though. Yeah. What's the magic number? (laughs) Okay. How much um, of it do you remember? How much of it do you remember? Negative eight, four, two. Yes. Four, zero, two, seven. One nine blue. That was amazing. The one isn't there. You got most of the numbers in wrong order. And in the middle, you messed up again. (laughs) But it's all right. Negative 823-470-492 blue. That's awesome. Audience, if you remembered that, send us a note and brag on yourself. Please do. Now, don't lie, but seriously, if you remember, now, if you didn't remember, send us a note and say, I didn't remember that at all. That was really funny. Let us know how we're doing here because you know what? That's a, a massive challenge and it's only nine numerals. I'll have to get it printed on some t-shirts for Equinox before I can remember it. <laughs> <laughs> well, then thank you so much, everyone, for joining us on this quest. If you want to dig deeper into any of this subject, you can find links to the stuff that Rob has brought up in the show notes on our website. And they're available at nightowl.fm. That's the name of the website. And rather than .com, it's .fm. And I love it. nightowl.fm slash equinox slash 26. Or if you're right there at your podcast player, you can find the show notes with all those links with this episode in the app on your phone. You should also check out Biblical Genetics, which is Rob's other project. Biblical Genetics is also available on Facebook and YouTube, where you can watch the videos and join the discussions in the comments. And if you want to find me, I'm at JCS Darnell on Twitter. Until next time, goodbye, Rob. Goodbye, Joe. You have been listening to Equinox. You should also check out Biblical Genetics. Biblical. Let me try that again.